Good morning. It's good to see you all here. And I'm a bit nervous, so that's okay. I'm just going to wait. I want to show you this picture. It is a picture I have often used with my small groups. And uh, I know some of you probably have seen this before, but I really love this picture. This is Rembrandt's painting, The Storm at the Sea of Galilee. And I've always found this picture mesmerizing. I don't think it's as clear as it could be, but that's because of the enlargement, I think. But I've always been mesmerized by the color and the contrast between the light and the darkness and the violence of the storm. You can almost feel the rocking of the boat and hear the crashing of the waves against the side. You can feel the coldness and the heaviness of the clothes drenched in water. And you can see how people respond differently when, they, when the storm puts their lives in danger. Second picture. Just wait. This second picture shows a group of disciples that are relying on their uh, experience. They use their strength and understanding to try and fight for their lives. They try and control the situation and take the storm under control. Fishermen like Peter, Andrew, and maybe John would have known what to do because they were fishermen. And so I was thinking maybe some of us are like that. Maybe we try and put an action plan together and try and control the situation, but at any moment, like in this picture, a strong wind or an uncontrolled wave could come and wash us over sea, overboard. The next picture. These disciples are rally, rallying around Jesus, and they're waiting for him to respond. They're asking, they're looking, they're waiting for some sign of reassurance or comfort. Or maybe they're just overwhelmed and are paralyzed with fear. They have no idea what to do. And I think maybe Matthew, the tax collector, would be in this group because he may not have had the same experience as the fishermen. The fourth picture? It's not very clear, it's dark, but some situations are so horrid that all you can do is react with your gut. Now, right in the front, it's quite dark, over to the, that's all. <laughs> There's a um, disciple bent over, just ready to throw up. He might be overwhelmed with the horror of what might be happening. Have you ever faced a situation in your life where you're just filled with revulsion? And all you want to do is throw up. The next picture. Right there in the middle. And the light is shining. <laughs> He's right in the middle. And he has his back facing Jesus. And I'm wondering, what is he thinking? Why does he have his back towards Jesus? Is he deciding what he's going to do? What group of men he's going to sit on? Or maybe... He has been disappointed in life. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's resentful. Maybe he just doesn't care, or maybe he doesn't believe anymore. Regardless, he separates himself from the rest of them. He's alone. And the last picture, we see the whole picture again. And if you look very closely, there are 14 people in the ship. Jesus and 12 disciples make 13, but there's 14 on the ship, 
And I think it's been suggested that Rembrandt painted himself in the painting. And I'm glad he did because you know what? That reminds us that there is room for us in that ship. Okay, pictures are done for now. We all react differently when storms hit us and batter our lives. We face things that we have never faced before, and there is always a degree of uncertainty. And that's what I'm going to talk about today, uncertainty. Not knowing can be a bondage that cripples us with doubt and fear. And my, my story is taken from Mark 10, and I want to read it to you. It's not very long, so you can just listen. Then they came to Jer Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard it, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many of them rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Bartimaeus wanted to see. His blindness impacted his life in a debilitating way. But I think his physical disability had a huge toll on his emotional health. I wonder if he suffered the loneliness of suffering alone. And we all know what it means when we think that we are suffering and no one knows what's hurting us deep inside. For many years, I worked with children with developmentally uh, that were developmentally delayed and had multiple disabilities. And because of that, I made sure that birthdays were very special. Children with severe disabilities are not invited to birthday parties. They do not go to birthday parties. They don't even have friends to come and visit them at their home. So we made sure that these kids had friends to celebrate their birthdays. And we would send uh, birthday invitations to other classes for other children to join. And we would have a huge birthday party with balloons, streamers, games, presents, prizes, music, and of course food. And every birthday had a huge birthday cake with candles. And we would do this maybe two or three times a month because there were so many kids. It cost teachers a lot of money, but we felt it was important to do this for these kids. It is hard to be alone. Our kids with d developmental disabilities go to school till they're 21. But at age 14, we are mandated to um, begin planning transitional plans so that when they graduate from school, they have somewhere to go. They're not left alone. And even with the best planning, when graduation day comes, some parents are in a state of shock, panic, because they're facing a bleak outlook, because there's nowhere for their kids to go. And I wonder, what kind of hope did Bartimaeus have seeing his future? With disabilities, you have a state of helplessness. There is a real fine balance between receiving help from someone and feeling dependent. I worked with a blind teacher once, and she was aggressively defiant when anybody wanted to help her. Because, you know, even helping her 
could be seen as a threat to herself. If you took her by the arm and she didn't know what you were doing, were you helping her or were you assaulting her? And she would not know. So you would always have to ask permission. Can I help you? And then they would know what to expect. Being dependent and begging, just like um, Bartimaeus, destroys your dignity and self-respect. And of course, it goes without saying that embarrassment and shame comes along. And I know that during the pandemic, there was a lot of virtual school. Kids were online and saw their teachers and classmates online. But I was told over and over again by teachers that students would turn off their cameras because they did not want other students to see their surroundings. They made themselves invisible, hiding, because they did not think they measured up. A lot of emotional turmoil when you have uh, a disability. But back to the story, Jesus was coming. Bartimaeus wanted Jesus to give him his sight. But I wonder if he had a need that was greater than just to be able to see again. It was important for him not to blend into the crowd and to be hidden from sight. He was told to be quiet. But I wonder if he was afraid that Jesus would not hear him. I wonder if he was afraid that he would be unnoticed. Not being able to see for himself, he had the need to be seen. When he was told to be silent, he had the need to be heard. He needed to be acknowledged as someone of worth. And I wonder if Bartimaeus felt like the disciples in the boat. Teacher, wake up! Don't you care if I am drowning? When the storms hit and batter our lives, we wonder, does anybody know what is happening inside of me? Does anyone see the hurt and turmoil that's inside my body? Can anyone hear my voice calling for help? Does my voice even matter? Sometimes when the storms hit us, we question our self-worth. We become victims of our circumstances and we feel defeated. Sometimes we minimize what we experience by saying, oh, it really doesn't matter, because what we're really saying is, I don't expect things to be different. We, and if we allow ourselves to acknowledge our pain or our suffering or our trauma, we might be forced to ask the question, does God really care about me? If I expect too much, will I be disappointed? We put on masks and we hide what's really inside us. We use denial as a defense me mechanism to cope with feelings of stress, and we try to numb the pain. We repress our deepest hurts, and we allow ourselves to be silenced, and we become invisible. Sometimes we believe, or are made to believe, that we deserve the life that we have. The disciples incorrectly believed that blindness was a result of God's punishment for sin. In John 9, the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was uh, born with blindness? 
the voices of judgment and condemnation speak louder than the voices calling for help. You got what you deserve. You brought this on yourself. And sometimes the finger pointers are the hurt person themselves. This is my fault. I made a bad choice, so I am guilty. Blame makes people lose the confidence that they have the right to speak. Sometimes a person's values based on cultural or social structures, appearance, lifestyle, gender, status and wealth are just a few. Uh, in my last years of teaching, I taught uh, in a kindergarten school and I met a little girl named Hanani. And she had a hard time to, uh, fitting in with the other girls. And this one day, she was really, really upset. She was crying and she came to me and she says, they won't let me play. And so I felt it was time to intervene. And so I went to this small group of four and five-year-old little girls and I said, Hanani would like to play with you. Can she join you? One of the little girls, remember she's four or five years old, said, we were told not to play with her. And I said, why not? We were told that her skin is different from our skin. And I was really puzzled because I looked at all of them and they all had brown skin. And I said, I don't notice a difference. And the little girl said, can't you see? Her skin is darker than ours. In their eyes, Hanani did not have the worth of being seen or heard as a schoolmate. The disciples also did not see little children as significant. They did not see the value of children as Jesus did. Do you know that saying, children should be seen and not heard? Well, I was puzzled by that, and I went into Google to find out the origins of that. And it comes from 15th century England, where it was first applied to young girls who were thought to have nothing to say that was worth hearing. Later on, little boys were added and became children. I guess it goes along with the idea that children do not have the wisdom as an adult or the one with authority. How many times through history the people, people have been silenced because the one in authority has all the power to do the speaking? They make the decisions and they are right. And the one with no power becomes voiceless. Sometimes the circumstances in our lives are horribly and unbelievable uh, terrible. Poverty, war, injustice, assault. And any personal suffering can be unbearable. A loss of job, death of someone you love, divorce, physical or sexual assault, sudden illness are all things that can turn our lives upside down. Suffering can leave people feeling abandoned. How can God allow it? Where was God through all of this? We, come un we be become uncertain of who we are, and we give up. God maybe doesn't love me as much as he loves someone else, and maybe my voice is lost amongst all the others. Uncertainty, not knowing, is the bondage that can cripple us with doubt and fear. We're unsure if God really cares about us. Do you see the real me? Do you know my pain? Do you hear my crying, my wailing, my whimpering? 
Can you see that I am drowning? I went through a little experience earlier this year. Um, I knew someone who was in the hospital for surgery. He was full of confidence in his, middle, uh, his medical team, and he was full of confidence because he was so well informed and prepared for what to expect. Knowledge prepared him and gave him the power to be confident. But things did not work out the way he had expected. His four-day stay stretched into three long weeks. The hospital and the staff were great, but his stay was horrible. He lost 40 pounds, and he looked like a skeleton. He lost all his vitality and confidence. Doubt and worry replaced it. And during many of our conversations, doubt and worry took over. I said to him this one day, waiting is hard. And he looked at me and he said, waiting is not hard. It's the uncertainty that is hard. His confidence had disappeared. And it began to wear down on me as well. The things that gave me confidence became doubtful. I became unsure of what the doctors were saying. And I was unsure about what was going to happen. I struggled deeply in prayer. I poured my heart out to God. And, and said, regardless of what his will was, I wanted him to answer my prayer. I pleaded, I begged, I demanded, I asked for mercy, I humbled myself, and I wanted to know why God wasn't answering my prayer. You know, people struggle uh, with disappointment for years and years. They wait and they wait for answers to their prayers. And we learn painfully that prayer is not like a magic wand that you can wave over and everything is going to be okay. I became worried and scared. Everything that gave me comfort before went out the window. I was unsure about prayer. What was the point of praying if I had no control? And I did not like the silence that I was, felt I was receiving. I did not have the assurances for myself let alone knowing what to say to the patient. So I, I said to him, well, you're right when you say being uncertain is hard, but instead of everything that you are uncertain about, what are the things that you are sure of? And he looked at me and he thought a little while and he said, I am certain that you love me and I am certain that I love you. And then one by one, he named off all the people in his family. And he said, I am certain that they love me and I love them. And then he pointed up. And I knew he meant to tell me that he knew that God loved him too. And I said to him, if you can't be certain of everything, you can at least be sure of those things. And those things are the important things. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I knew God had broken the fears and uncertainty in me. I knew what he was saying to me. Then without saying, thinking, I said, there are a lot of things that we do not know. We can't be certain about everything. But I know for sure that God sees you right now. He knows how you feel. And I know he sees me. And I know how he feels. And I know for certain he hears us. He is with us, and we are not alone. 
God flooded me with reassurance. The future was unknown, but at that moment, I had all the assurance that I need, needed. Uncertainty, not knowing, can be a bondage that cripples us with fear and doubt, but is it necessarily a bad thing? In my case, uncertainty was a powerful way that God used to get me to hear what I needed to hear for the moment. In the story of Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus was not invisible to Jesus. It would have been very understandable if Jesus did not notice him. Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem on the last week before his death and crucifixion. Jesus knew what was he, he's, was, he was going to expect. He anticipated his own death and humiliation. And despite all that and the noise that surrounded him, Jesus does hear and see Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus does not go unnoticed and unforgotten and forgotten. Even with all the heaviness of Jesus' own <clears throat> spirit, he heard Bartimaeus. He was not left unseen or unheard. Certainly, Jesus sees us and hears us. Nothing and no one goes unnoticed. Uncertainty was a powerful way that God uses to get us to hear what we need to hear for the moment. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to be uncertain. But what about being certain? Isn't it good to be certain? Isn't it good that we know what we believe and have faith? Isn't that what we're uh, encouraged to be, to have strong faith? Well, let's think about that for a moment. I think that certainty can cripple us because it drowns out what God is saying at the moment. We limit ourselves only to what we know, not what there is still to know. In Sunday school, we use the lesson of Bartimaeus. We teach children lessons about faith, prayer, and being persistent. Not to give up, but keep calling out to Jesus, trust Jesus as the Messiah, and then Jesus healed Bartimaeus. Jesus shows mercy, and we can all be like Bartimaeus and follow him. As adults, we also have lessons in faith. We have certainty that God will answer our prayers. If we acknowledge him, if we humbly approach him, if we pray very specifically, if we have faith in him, we go home inspired and feel confident so that our, our responses give us the power to live successfully. But you know, Christian lessons are easy when life is easy. But when living is tough, it is hard to listen to these lessons. I wanted the certainty of Bartimaeus. I wanted my prayer to work out like his. I wanted to know for sure that if I acknowledged Christ, if I humbly approached him, if I prayed very specifically and not give up, and if I had faith, Jesus would hear me and fix everything. But life doesn't work that way. We have no control over the circumstances of our life, even if I am faithful and pray earnestly. The oversimplification of the application of this story can lead us to the mis- perception that we have the power to control our outcomes. 
It gives us the illusion that we can have certainty because we pray correctly. When I was wrestling with God, God was teaching me something different about prayer. Sometimes our minds are filled with an idea about this truth or that teaching. We memorize verses. We try to bargain with God. And we say, you promised this, God. Now you have to be faithful and keep your promises. We pray longer. We pray louder. We pray with bigger groups. We want, it's like we want to make sure that God hears what we think he should hear. We're so busy talking to God that we cannot hear what he is saying to us. So we limit ourselves. We're not open to what there is still to know. We cannot change our circumstances, but as we continue to struggle, God is making a way for us to hear something more, something different. The story of Bartimaeus is not only a story about how to pray. Pray is, prayer is just not just about our persistence or our crying out or our trust and faith. Prayer is about him. He sees us. He hears us. He is with us. Prayer is not so much about what we want from him, but what he wants us to know about him. We are not bounded by our old perspectives and understanding. God wants to break the bondages that prevent us from hearing what he is saying. I believe God is truth, and I believe that his word speaks truth. But I do believe that as we get to know God better, he helps us to understand his truth differently. He speaks his word so that we can change. And when we are faced with these challenges, we believe and God invites us to hear and speak. He invites us to listen. He invites us to know that he does value us. Because he sees and hears us, he gives us permission to speak. Our voice has the right to be heard. What we say is important. He wants us to speak. Other voices may try to silence us by bringing uncertainty and fear, but they have no power over us if God gives us the right to speak. Our voice is important to him. We can all go freely to him. And he does not judge what we have to say. He accepts us as we are, and we learn to accept ourselves as he does. Sometimes when the storms of life assault us, they leave deep traumatic wounds. And instead of the life we once had, there's only deadness and hurt. But you know, Jesus knows all that too. He sees the deadness, he feels the hurt, and he hears the emptiness. He has not forgotten and he will not abandon. He seeks to recover what has been lost. He heals the brokenness that exists inside us. And like Bartimaeus, he sees and hears and heals the brokenness and recovers what is lost. If you read the story in the English Standard Version of the Bible, the words are slightly different. And this is what it says. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. Lord, help me recover my sight. Jesus says to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. 
there is a hint that Bartimaeus once had sight but lost it. You know, even today, uh, throughout the world in tropical places, there are flies or uh, parasites that can leave their larvae inside you. And as the larvae develops and cycles, it can cause skin irritations. And if it goes to your eyes, you become blind. And so I wonder, maybe, maybe Bartimaeus had this. I don't know for sure because it really doesn't say for sure. But the idea is Bartimaeus lost something that he had, and Jesus comes to restore it. The storms that hit us and take us by surprise make us powerless victims. The impact can cause lasting harm to us and all the people around us. When faced with the storms that almost destroy us, God invites us to hear him speak. He invites us to listen. He wants us to recover and regain what we have lost. And I have one more picture. When I was preparing this message, my friend posted this picture on Facebook, and I messaged her right away and said, can I use this picture for my message? And she said, of course. The title of this picture is A Boatload of Horlings. That, that's her name. And if you look, I love this picture. I love the blue sky. I love the blue waters. I love the calmness. I love the sense of adventure. And if you look clearly at the children in the front, they're eager. They don't know where they're going, but there's adventure. And, and, and there's wonderment. And if you look in the back, there's a little boy looking back. He looks a little bit worried. Maybe he's looking back at his mother. Maybe he doesn't know where he's going. But, but there is a boat. But the thing that struck me first was they're all wearing life jackets. There is a hint that as we go through life, there is always the possibility, the risk of danger, of a storm coming up. There are no guarantees that we will have smooth sailing all of our lives. The life jackets prepare us and remind us that life can be dangerous. But look carefully, who's in the boat? The father. The father is in the boat with them. God is inviting us to continue on the journey of life with him. We may be at different stages in that journey. We may be smooth sailing, and the world is opening the wonders for us. Some of us may be in a storm, and we're filled with despair and doubt and hurt and fear. Maybe we're tired and defeated. Maybe we're angry and resentful. Maybe we're already on the road to spiritual and emotional healing and recovery. But maybe we're cycling over and over and over again, crises in our life. But regardless, the invitation is there. God is with us. He sees us. He hears us. He may be silent for a while, but he's in the boat with us. I pray that you're encouraged uh, that God is with you. Thank you.